Every single day, America's farmers and ranchers rise with the sun to tend their crops or care for their livestock. It's a tough job, uh, but it's made even harder, frustratingly, by fake news and fear-mongering about modern-day farming. Thankfully, farmers and ranchers have an advocate in our guest today, Michelle Miller, or as most of you probably know her, the farm babe, her name. Welcome to Groundwork, the podcast where we dig into all things farm policy. I'm your host, Tom Sell. So Michelle is our guest today, and we're, we're so looking forward to talking about how she's telling the stories of the hardworking men and women who feed and clothe us. Welcome, Michelle. We're so glad to have you on this Groundwork podcast. Let's, let's just start with this. Um, you approach farming advocacy with a unique perspective and in a unique, unique venue. A lot of advocates for agriculture have walked the halls of Washington, and uh, which is what I do, and, and, and advocated in different areas. You're primarily on on uh, social media. It's a it's a great you know frontier that that I know little about. So Michelle, you approach farming and advocacy with a unique perspective. In fact, you've talked before about how popular culture originally influenced your opinions about large scale production agriculture and topics such as even bioengineered crops. Um, why don't you, can you just tell us a little bit more about what really opened your eyes regarding the truth about modern day farming? Yeah, for sure. You know, I grew up um, around agriculture. I'm originally from Ash, Wisconsin, and <clears throat> I was a 4-H kid and my friends were farm kids and stuff. So like I kind of grew up around it. But for college, I actually moved to Los Angeles and throughout uh, I, I spent four, I spent 12 years total between Los Angeles and downtown Chicago. It's basically all my 20s. And throughout that time, I had seen movies like Food Inc. and had kind of succumbed to a lot of the misinformation put out by animal rights activists. So I fell victim to a lot of myths about like factory farming, GMOs, pesticides, Monsanto, you know, any of those kind of tough, uh, hot topics within agriculture. And so that's really kind of how it all started. Well, yeah. So you were actually, you were in the fashion industry. If, if Yeah, I worked for Gucci on Rodeo Drive of all places. <laughs> so I was about as city as you could be. And, you know, I had a personal trainer that was like, you have to give up gluten. And, you know, I would only buy organic and I would only shop at Whole Foods. And um, it was based purely around marketing and misinformation. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, it's amazing how they all kind of repeat the same thing. So it becomes fashionable in its own sense. They're, they're just following the crowd. So what are some of the most common and pervasive myths uh, uh, that, that you heard then or that you're, you're kind of battling today? Yeah, I think a lot of it surrounds animal agriculture, um, you know, GMOs and stuff, I feel like isn't quite as big of a topic as it was, say, five or six years ago. But uh, yeah, I mean, my perception changed back in 2012, 2013. I had moved from the city to a farm in Iowa and uh, dated a farmer. And, and that was really kind of opened my eyes was, you know, this guy was growing GMOs and he had feedlots. And um, so a lot of that stuff was just the myths of being like, well, livestock and factory farms, you know, they're pumped full of hormones and antibiotics and GMOs are drenched chemicals and you know farmers are forced to grow stuff from Monsanto and like all of this stuff isn't really true but you know you kind of have to look at the money trail behind the misinformation right like PETA's not exactly broke and so you've got a lot of misinformation from these different groups that had really influenced um you know like influence a lot of public perception and then that's just kind of what I try to do is is give science and farmers a bigger voice yeah, that, uh, I'm, I'm glad you said that, and particularly on the fall in the money. It, it is, 
you know, obviously sensationalism, hyping something up um, uh, tends to lead people to open their open their wallets. But then also you, you do have some adverse marketing or, or people marketing alternatives uh, to what they're what they're complaining about. You've seen some of that. Uh, the misinformation now has gotten so out of hand with these food corporations trying to say, well, if you want to save the planet, you know, you, you better go vegan, you better do this and you better do that. And it's just this guilt trip of, you know, nobody ever questions the carbon footprint of where their coffee comes from. You know, it's like you could have a burger that was grown in your community, or you could have coffee that was probably trucked in and shipped from South America that just gets dumped on the drain of the diner every day. Right. But there's no anti, there's no anti-coffee lobby out there. There's no like, you know, people out there that are, um, putting down other parts of our, our industry. It's just animal rights activist groups are the ones spreading this misinformation. And then you've got, you know, organic and non-GMO, I mean, natural. I mean, these labels combined is a $300 billion plus industry. And so it's funny, that's kind of the way I, I end up communicating with a lot of the average consumer. You know, it's like, I think about my, my old views versus my now views after learning from real farmers about farming, like who knew, right? Social media has allowed us to do that. They've allowed, social media has allowed us to connect with, with growers all across the world on practices that are factually accurate talking to farmers about farming. But that's kind of the approach I take when people are like, well, you know, follow the money, you know, Monsanto and this and, and, and big egg that. And I'm like, okay, big egg, what about big food? Like you're railing against big food. Well, organic non-GMO, I mean, that's big food. Like that's, and so it's kind of this like, okay, like you think organic is more pure. They don't tell you that organic uses pesticides. Organic still uses pesticides. And people don't know that. It's like, well, of course, the big food corporations that everybody likes to rail against wants you paying three times more for the price of your groceries. That's the whole point. And so, so it's kind of raising awareness on all this stuff of like where people are getting their information from. Like, are they talking to the actual growers or are they just being fed one side of the story from the loud big city marketing, you know? Yeah, that's good stuff for them, baby. Food Inc. is a reality. It's a, it's a big business. It's it's a low margin business, but look, the margins are much bigger in, in some of these uh, niche kind of specialty uh, products. So today's farms are high-tech operations. Farmers have been able to invest in producing healthy, safe, and affordable food, largely thanks to investment in research and technology. Let me ask this. Do you, do you believe that the average consumer understands the science that goes into farming these days? Not really. You know, I think people still have kind of that romantic imagery of natural food, which is fine and well and good. You know, I mean, you should definitely pick an apple over an Oreo, right? <laughs> I think this is kind of where we're hitting a big roadblock with public perception is that you've got the general public loves technology. They're like, okay, let's get the latest Tesla. I mean, the latest iPhone, you know, what's, what's tech savvy in our world? But we don't always get to communicate the tech in agriculture, but it is. I mean, we've got drones and sensors and data points and, you know, you can track 180 data points on a cow nowadays through the, the, the Fitbit type technology on their neck, right? And so you've got all of this amazing stuff going on. And that's part of the fun of being an advocate for ag is sharing that story for sure. Yeah, even on the row crop farming, being able to kind of have have precision data down to the square inch on soil that's in a field. And obviously the soil is the most important uh, resource that the farmers have, and they, 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 they spend their life trying to take care of it, pass it on better than it was passed on to them. It really is a truly scientific and, and technology-driven 
uh, enterprise that, that is so fundamental too, right? I, I think what you're saying, we all think back to those pastoral kind of images, um, uh, the American Gothic type of, you know, pitchfork and, and, and things. We're well beyond that. Conventional, organic, big, small, whatever. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's every farmer's best interest to turn a profit and have the best produce and the best um, livestock care because the better we take care of, of the of the farm, the better it takes care of us, you know? That's well said. That's very well said. And I, I agree with you. We like the diversity of it. It takes pioneers and, and, and technology leaders. It really is an amazing dynamic system that we, we, we have and so many folks take for granted. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this. For farmers, sustainability is obviously a necessary part of their everyday operation. Uh, if they aren't sustainable, their farm simply won't survive. You said it well. What do you hear when you talk to farmers about sustainability? How do they frame that in their mind from your experience? Yeah, I mean, sustainability is everything for the family farm, right? I mean, it's, it's you want to pass that down to your next generation. And I think there's a lot more people adopting these so-called sustainable practices like, you know, no-till farming and cover crops and different types of research and better genetics. And, you know, at the end of the day, to be profitable, to be sustainable, you have to be profitable, right? And so yeah. how yeah. do you become more profitable? Well, chances are you are investing in precision. It helps your inputs. Um, so, you know, if you find a way to reduce pesticide usage by turning to maybe a GMO seed or something where you don't have to spray insecticides, that's good. If you can switch to no-till farming, you're saving money on fuel and tractor wear and tear. That's good. So there's all these different things that you can do that uh, absolutely improve sustainability and being able to produce more with less, use less water, less fuel, less resources, all of that stuff is money back in the farmer's pocket. So a lot of times people don't always think about uh, the general public, I think is just like, oh, you know, these livestock are just pumped full of all these medications and they're just drenching their fields and chemicals. And it's like, that's not sustainable. <laughs> they don't realize how many- <laughs> That ain't gonna work. They don't realize how many hundreds of thousands of dollars farmers spend on inputs for these larger scale farms. So if you're just gonna go out and just, we, I just wanna spray pesticides today, said no farmer, Ever, you know, that's not sustainable because you're not going to be able to afford to stay in business. You know, so it's like, let's talk about common sense and business here, not just like, like, of course, we want to be sustainable. Of course, we want to move forward and, and be better stewards. It's it all comes full circle as a business. You know, I, I love how you battle these just kind of common misperceptions that are out there. One of your most recent wins, I, I'd call it for farming, was was this great story where you got Burger King to sit down with real farmers such as yourself after they released what was really some terribly misleading uh, yeah. uh, an advertisement about cattle production. So tell us about that that conversation. How did it happen? Um, do you feel that large food corporations are really listening to rural America? Just tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, large corporations need to talk to, to farmers. And as farmers, we need to be more proactive. Um, you know, just on a little side note here, you think about how per, how proactive our industry was in the 90s with the Got Milk campaign, right? Like, I remember being a kid in the 90s going like, milk is so cool. Like, every pro athlete, every celebrity, like, it was it was like, milk is cool. And it was because we were so proactive with the messaging. So you have Burger King coming out with this horrible ad that's painting livestock in a negative light that's basically like blaming cow farts on destroying right? First of all, 97% of methane comes from their mouth, not their rear. So Burger King got that wrong right off the bat by focusing on all this fart stuff. But it was a catchy song, whatever. And um, so they did this ad and they just got so much insane backlash. Um, it, it, it was bad. I mean, it was hashtag boycott Burger King, like all across the board. 
thousands upon thousands of people were very upset with this ad. And, you know, I had done some screenshots and some posts that were going pretty viral, just calling out Burger King. And then I thought about it and I reached out to their global chief marketing officer, Fernando Machado. And I said, look, like, this is why your ad was so offensive. Like, if you want to talk about sustainability and reducing methane and all of these things, like that's a noble cause, but it's something that's been in the forefront of the farmer's mind long before you came out with this bogus advertisement, you know? So Burger King actually reached out to me after I sent that tweet and we had a call and and a conversation about what happened and why. And, and I was like, come on out. And they did. So uh, it was the global chief marketing officer of Burger King. And then the guy who created the ad came out and um, they, they flew into uh, Chicago and I, you know, we went to these farms across Wisconsin and Iowa. I took them to these large scale cattle feedlots and dairy farms, showed them my farm in Iowa at the time of, you know, just sustainability, what we're doing to protect the environment, how our cattle diets developed. Their whole thing was, well, if you feed lemongrass to cattle, it'll reduce methane. It's like, okay, but like, where are we supposed to source this lemongrass? And, and how much is that going to cost us? And what's the, what, are we going to be paid a premium for feeding lemongrass to cattle? Like probably not, right? So it's all this BS that they were throwing out there. Um, but they, they, they listened and they retracted their old ad and they put out a new ad that was in partnership with myself and some of these other farms. Uh, I had the Iowa Farm Bureau involved, Iowa State, um, some ruminant nutritionists, all these experts that I pulled together for this, this uh, new commercial that they released. So hats off to them for listening. And to your point, it's one of those things where <laughs> here you are leading marketing of one of the world's largest burger chains. And he had never really been to a farm before. Like he's originally from Brazil, but really has not spent any time on cattle farms. And so when I took them to this feedlot that had like five or 6,000 head of cattle, you know, they were really kind of mind blown at like all the science that goes into their diets and their care. And, and so if there's one thing agriculture needs to understand, it's that we got to be proactive because if we don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. And the fact that this guy had never really been to a farm, like blew my mind. Yeah. In a business that was built on beef. This is, this is yeah. important to, to note kind of related to an earlier topic. This was when they were marketing their impossible burger as a, as an alternative, but just the fact that, that you did have that, have that chief for operations. Thank you for, for actually taking him out, exposing him to, to what farming really looks like and all the science and all the, all the uh, care, uh, genuine care. Uh, that goes yeah. yeah. I w- it was wonderful to hear them be open-minded to learning new things and admitting, you know, in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have done that to see them take down that ad. And it's just like, God, we need more businesses to partner and highlight farmers, not tear them down. Like this whole, this whole like putting farmers down, like it's the marketing, it's just not working anymore, right? Like we are labeling the consumer to death. We are watering down our labels. We are eroding trust. And when is somebody going to step up and show transparency in their sourcing. And that's what people want. They want to feel connected to their food, not be organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, cage-free, like unicorn black death. You know what I mean? You can't possibly feed the world without pesticides. You can't possibly feed the world without antibiotics. Like you just can't do it right now. So anyway. Yeah, it's pretty. this is pretty fundamental stuff. And it's important stuff we do. Look, we in America can afford to, to 
by a lot of labels and, and kind of specialty products. But we always need to remember the 7.4 billion people in this world, most of whom, vast majority of whom, uh, are uh, do not have the American uh, uh, budget, uh, disposable income. Uh, and, and we have an obligation to take care of those. And, and really, American farmers are leading the way. So you obviously battle against these things all the time. And we're so we're so um, uh, uh, appreciative of that. Let me ask, let's uh, yes, what can farmers uh, here and there or those connected to farmers and have the same appreciation do uh, to get involved in in farm advocacy? You've pioneered this. So just tell us a little bit about how you, how you get involved. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's it's really just a matter of, I mean, social media is like the number one way, number one way to reach people nowadays. I mean, all you have to do, I, I built this entire brand six years ago on starting a Facebook page, right? And anybody can do it. You just got to get out there and do it, whether you choose to do fun TikTok videos or a YouTube channel or, um, you know, a Facebook page or Twitter, however it works for you, there's really no wrong way to do it. But you know, you reach millions upon millions of people. You can influence corporations like Burger King, like anybody can do this stuff. You just have to be involved in the discussion. Then you've got education and policy. You know, it's like if people don't know where their food comes from or if they believe myths, that's going to negatively impact policy. We need people to buy and support American grown foods and support our farmers and keep them on the land, keep your food affordable and keep farmers profitable. I mean, there's so many things that go into it, but uh, you know, um, advocate, be involved, uh, talk to your policymakers, your education system, making sure that there's a good ag education program in schools. Um, there's so many ways you can get involved. Um, talk to your local news outlets, attend conferences, speak to people outside of agriculture. I can't stress that enough. Like just we tend to talk to each other too much and the people that really need to hear our message the most are the people outside of ag so i try to attend you know health and wellness conferences or different blogger groups or people where i might be the only one that focuses on farming or ag production but that's what makes it interesting because you, you talk to people in cities and you talk about, oh yeah i'm a farmer like People think that's cool mm -hmm. you know, they don't always trust you know, big corporations or the government or whatever, but they definitely trust farmers like farmers have that amazingly well-respected, credible voice. So just remember that, that you can make a difference and that people just need to get out there and do it and be proactive. That's such an important point you make. I mean, you, you might think and farmers might get buffaloed out there and think, gosh, all these people taking pot shots at us. But even with that, the American farmer still has a tremendous uh, reputational credibility uh, with the American people. And I think everyone knows, even folks far away, generations away from the farm know that there's something fundamental and really important about what those people do and really risky. They know it's not not easy. And so they really do seem to appreciate it. Let me ask you this last question. What's your favorite thing about being uh, a farmer? Well, um, I don't have time to farm like I used to. <laughs> I got I can't really farm because I'm never home. And I guess that's been my favorite part about being the farm babe is just all the different places that my career has taken me to the point where it's like I had to sell my flock and, you know, do all these things. It's like, okay, I can't, I'm never home to take care of my animals or, or I, I don't have time to even have a garden anymore. Um, and so for me, it's, it's become a full-time advocacy career. And my favorite part is learning about agriculture all around the world. You know, I met you when I was in Lubbock and yep. I spoke and learned all about, uh, Texas fiber, right? Whether that was cotton or hemp, just to be in the fields to learn about these different things. You know, then um, 
next week I could be on a watermelon field in Florida. You know, the following week I could be touring eggplant harvest. The next week I could be touring the rice paddies of California. So that's what's been amazing as I get to connect with agriculture um, all over the country and also the world before COVID, you know, kind of learning about aquaculture in South America or coffee in Costa Rica or spices in India. I love to travel. That's my other passion. So um, I just love it. I love learning about and telling the story of global food security for sure. Well, press on. I, I'm, I'm sorry you don't have as much time at, at your own farm these days, but the work you're doing is, is hugely important. Michelle, thank you so much again for joining us today. This has been such a great conversation. It's clear that you're out there really doing the hard work necessary to bridge the growing gap between agriculture and consumers. So keep up the great work. Keep shining a light on the farmers and ranchers who provide us with the world's safest, most abundant, most affordable food supply. That's it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.